Hi, this is Eddie Deason. You're listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall. I was Mandark in Dexter's laboratory. Ha 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 ha. You are listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall on Realm of the Mist Entertainment. Hey, what's up, guys? Chris Frisali back for another Breaking the Fourth Wall, episode 110. And I'll tell you what, there's a little part of me that's kind of giddy because when I was a kid, I used to love watching the Karate Kid franchise. Uh, not the next Karate Kid, not the uh, reboot with Jackie Chan and Jaden Smith, the original Karate Kids, the original trilogy. And I get to pick on one of the bullies today. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the, uh, <laughs> the actor who has... Uh, Beaten up on Danielson, much like many people in that trilogy, uh, has been part of the Outsiders, has been part of uh, ga- uh, Gangsterland, and is now a part of Studio City. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sean Kanan. Hey, buddy, how are you? Thanks for having me on. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for being here. Um, obviously, I mentioned the Karate Kid, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to the Karate Kid three. You know, we'll, we'll dig dig a little bit in there. Uh, but, um, without, without cheating and going into all filmography and looking at dates, what was your first role? Oh boy, my first role, I did this horrendous horror film. I mean, it was like, you know, stink on ice. It was called hide and go shriek. And God, this must've been like 1989 and you know, classic thing, a bunch of dumb uh, high school kids. Uh, get locked into a furniture warehouse with a killer. I mean, it, every cliche-riddled thing that you could imagine. My manager begged me not to do it, but I just was like, I, I got to start. I got to start somewhere. And uh, you know, you know what? To this day, it's actually kind of a a, a funny, a funny memory. So uh, you know, I, I look back on it like, you know what? It was it was one piece of the puzzle that brought me to where I am today. Maybe it's because of that that I'm where I am today. I don't know. I have to think about that one. That's. Well, obviously, I mean, horror movies, you either, you either wind up in a franchise like, you know, Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street or or a, a great one-off or you wind up in, you know, like, you know, uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, although a cult classic, not a great horror film. Yeah. Right. right. You know, uh, but I, I mean, looking at your IMDb, it's, it's amazing to me um, how... How many films you were in that I absolutely loved, like growing up in my teenage years or, or whatever else? Uh, you you have appearances in Hot Shots, Revenge of the Nerds. I mean, how- well, well, you know, I got to tell you something. I, I, I don't I don't know why I don't know why Hot Shots is on my IMDb. I've asked them a dozen times to take it off. I was never in that movie, and I can't figure out why they have to be listed. It's it's really strange. Uh, but I was not in Hot Shots actually. You, you weren't okay because they have you listed as the barracks man in underwear. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, that was not me. I could, I, I could I could actually tell you who that was. That was an actor named John J. York, who I, I did my very first television project. He was the star of it. It was a show called Werewolf. And then years years later, I would go on to work with him on General Hospital. Uh, he played a character named Max Corpio. So it's just it's just weird how it's kind of six degrees or incestuous or whatever you want to say, but. Um. Yeah. Years later, I wound up meeting him. Okay. The guy who actually deserves the credit. Okay. Because <laughs> he's. I, I do. I do notice. Well, you're, I'm, you're, digging, you're digging. You're digging. You're digging way back into my all my old credits. <laughs> going back to the beginning. Well, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna move forward, obviously, but we always got to start at the beginning. We're gonna work our way forward. Exactly, and uh, you know, I'm I'm amazed. I'm sitting here like even on the TV credits, like uh, you played Charlie and Who's the Boss. Yeah, that was that was a fun experience. That was a long time ago. Wow, Milana was just like a little girl at the time. Yeah, it was fun working with uh, Tony Danza. She was she was one of my childhood crushes. Her and Princess Leia. Yeah. <laughs> that's when I discovered I like girls. <laughs> that's right. But uh, no, I mean, unfortunately, it's ex- Pr- Princess Leia did too. I think. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's just it's just amazing to see how many. 
seen a lot of the stuff that you that you've been in, and of course you you, you mentioned uh, you me- of course you mentioned uh, General Hospital. Now this one, um, I, I don't I don't necessarily see the credit, so I'm just going to ask you straight out because my grandmother growing up was a huge soap opera fan. She loved the uh, Channel Six ABC. Oh. Uh, uh, soap opera lineups you know the uh, all my children and right. and all and including general hospital so i'm really curious what character you played i wonder if like i've ever noticed it on days that i was home from school and was like sitting there watching them with her right <laughs> yeah I, I played uh i played aj quartermain aj quartermain well, i was the uh near i was the ne'er-do-well black deep son of the quartermain family which was the main family in the show. I thought that and sounded I familiar. Started about 19, yeah, I started about 1992, and then I went to about 1997, and then I came back 15 years later for the show's 50th anniversary uh, for a year. Now, not to not to spoil too much from uh, from uh, uh, Studio City, but did General Hospital have a lot of influence in in the show? Well, you know, Studio City. Uh, Studio City, which is my short-form digital series on Amazon Prime, centers around my character, Sam Stevens, who is he's an Asian soap star on the number two soap in the world. And, you know, it's a soap opera within the show. And, yeah, I mean, you know, I drew on a lot of the experiences that I had. You know, I, I've worked in daytime off and on since 1992. I was on uh, The Bold and Beautiful and Young and the Restless as Deacon Sharp. Uh, I was on uh, Sunset Deep. So, I mean, daytime has been a really large and important part of my career. And, you know, I, I drew a lot from those experiences uh, to create Studio City. Uh, with, with Studio City, I mean, I might as well dig into it before we go back to your to your uh, your, your career here. That's Rory that's really up track. I'm sorry. What's that? I said if I did I throw you off track, I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. No, like like I said, like I said before the show, I I always let the conversation uh, lead the the questions, and okay. actually actually I was yeah. I was really taken by by the character of Sam. A lot of the uh, issues that he's dealing with, uh, a lot of the issues that he's dealing with within uh, within the show, outside of being the aging actor. You know, outside of the the right. the the uh, doctor role that he plays. In the thing, but like you know, uh, again, right. I don't want to spoil, but he has he has some life changing things happen in the first six episodes. Yep, um, for sure. How much of not only the behind the scenes uh, that dealt that deals with the the, the, the soap opera that Sans a part of, uh, but also how much how much of the uh, show is inspired by real events? Not necessarily your events, but maybe things you've seen in the daytime drama industry. You know, one of the things I wanted to do, you know, a lot of times when you see soap operas portrayed in the media, they're always portrayed in a way that they're they're almost like the butt of a joke. And, you know, some of the best actors I've ever worked with come from, from daytime. And so I wanted to show soap operas in a positive light, not make fun of them. And so one of the things we do is we, you know, in the parts of the show when we're doing the soap opera, you know, yeah, the dialogue, you know, it's to the left and center to make it a little funnier, but the acting is pretty straight on. And uh, as far as, um, you know, stuff like, you know, the younger, more handsome leading guy coming on the show who's always got his shirt off, or, you know, the, the awkwardness that occurs when you're going through a contract renegotiation and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, a lot of that is, is you know, straight out of stuff that, that I've dealt with. Um, you know, the thing I wanted to convey on this show is that here's this guy Sam who's got what for many people is going to seem like a really interesting cool great job that he's a star on TV but he really endures a lot of the stuff that everybody goes through in their life you know moments of feeling when he's not respected moments of feeling you know unappreciated um, you know finding out deep dark secrets about his family that he never could have fathomed um, and, and without ruining the surprise of the pilot, um, you know, this is a guy that has always wanted to do more in his career. He always thought he'd be an acting star or something like that. And more comes in the form of another character that he never knew existed. And it throws his life into turmoil. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say was, 
one of the things that I really do like about soap operas is that because you're dealing with one show a day and you have to put so much product out there as opposed to a show that does 13 episodes or one a week like that, you're able to take issues that are happening in real time right from the headline. And so we deal with on Studio City with, you know, the Me Too and ageism and we, you know, can't somebody dying of cancer and um, uh, we have an LGBTQ trans story. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that is really socially relevant and now that we cram into this. Right, and and I did I, I like I said I I, uh, I binged all six episodes <laughs> prior to the interview, so that way I made sure I was I was current. Um, but uh, the the episode that you're you're talking about that especially deals with like the uh, the, the Me Too and trans movement, which later has a surprising uh, uh, happening, I believe, in episode five. Uh, right. The uh, is the actor. I'm just curious. Is the actor a, a trans person? Yeah, Scott Turner Schofield is a brilliant actor. I met Scott on um, on The Bold and Beautiful. We had a trans storyline on The Bold and Beautiful, and Scott actually was the first trans actor to appear on Daytime, so he made history. Um, and, you know, he's, he's such an interesting guy. He's one of the bravest people I know. And okay. I just felt like I wanted to, I knew I wanted to work with him, and I wanted to kind of work you know, a version of what his story was into it. And he has just been killing it. I mean, he's pre-nominated for an Emmy, for an independent series award. Uh, you know, he just, just did tremendous work. And I knew that with Scott being involved, you know, you have to have somebody that's a trans actor involved in that storyline. Because, you know, how else can really anyone else bring the most authentic truth to it? And I wanted to make sure that we were doing the story justice and giving it the respect that it deserves. Okay, because I, 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 I don't want to sound ignorant here, but like uh, when, when I first saw the character in the show, I was thinking, okay, it kind of looks like a young Alan Tudyk. And uh, when when what? it was Wait, revealed... A young, a young who? Alan young Tudyk. Who? Uh the voice of K two SO. He was uh, he was also in uh, like Firefly and Serenity as Wa- Wash. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And and yeah. and then uh, and then later when we when when we got to that scene where it was discovered that this character was in fact a, a trans male, I'm not gonna lie. I was the ignorant one looking for an Adam's apple or whatever. It's like, is this an, a male actor pretending to be a trans or is this an actual trans person? <laughs> you know? uh, he's, 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 he's the real deal. I mean, this guy has had an amazing life, and. Um, you know, I, I think when he gives that monologue, which is in, I think, episode three, if I'm not mistaken, or four, um, you know, he's speaking from the heart and, uh, and speaking from what, you know, his, his truth and his life experience is. Uh, and I think that it's amazing. You know, people are really, it's resonating with him. And I think, you know, I think for, for many people, that is such a foreign concept. Um, it's becoming less foreign now, I think, as, 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 Time goes by, right. but I think that whenever something, whenever something, even something that's very foreign, is portrayed to you with emotional truth, I, I think people react to it. You know, it, it resonates with them. What I what I liked about it, um, what I liked about it was that it was uh, it was direct, but it was subtle. If that makes sense. Uh, yeah. the, the whole entire theme of that particular episode, it wasn't like bashing somebody over the face like we're here, you know, forgive forgive the, the oh, premise here, yeah, but we're, yeah, we're I, here, I, we're I, queer, get used to it. Instead, it was like, this is the I, struggles I totally and guess. traumas. And it, it, it made it more humanizing, I think, for people that may not necessarily, you know, look at the, uh, the struggles of the trans community. Uh, in the same light, yeah. may give them pause. I, I thought I thought the subtlety of it and the tastefulness of it was a lot uh, was really nice. Because uh, well, the big the big thing is is like uh, as far as Studio City is concerned, if I'm understanding this correctly, um, this is your creation. You and I'm gonna dare guess your wife. Uh, well, yeah, my my, my wife is is one of the writers and the producer, one of the producers. Uh, this is something I've been working on for a really, really long time in different incarnations. Originally, this was supposed to be a 30-minute comedy 
Uh, I later paired up with a guy named Jason Antignoli, and he and I hammered out, you know, a lot of what you see now. Uh, and we also brought in our director, another producing partner, Tim Woodward Jr. And, you know, Tim had uh, a big hand in sculpting what you see now and us ultimately deciding that going to a, a short form digital format with the budget that we had was going to allow us to tell, you know, as much of the story as we were able to. Um, you know, like I said, it was originally a half an hour comedy. And I think now you, you, you call it a dramedy. I mean, there's, there's stuff in it that's funny, but there are definitely some real strong emotional moments too. Oh, absolutely. Um, in fact, I, I'm actually shocked to hear the term comedy because I think the only time that I, I had the impression of, of, comedy myself watching it and obviously art is subjective it's maybe the first episode on the cut scene of the uh of the uh the first introduction to filming the the soap opera and your right. your reaction right. at the table like great scene who the heck was that guy you know I mean? <laughs> like right. i chuckled at that you know yeah. and then all of a sudden i was sucked into the yeah. actual drama of sam's life which you know it was it was it was Which is dramatic, right? Yeah, it is very dramatic. And like I said, I mean, I I related to him on many levels uh, with uh, like uh, some of the situations that he went in. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but like uh, I'll to give an example here, I'll use something that's a little less as as in, impactful in my life that Sam is going through. Is I used to be a professional wrestler, an independent yeah. an independent circuit professional wrestler, and I remember that's those. Awesome. And I remember those struggles of trying once you get on top or, or get a major storyline or get above mid card uh, within a federation, the struggle right. to stay relevant, the struggle to not have the yep. next generation come and push you off your spot. Like I, I completely understood where yep. Sam was coming from in that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. You, know, you know, what's funny is, you know, Chris, you, you talk about um, wrestling. And there's a real, um, I don't know, there's a common denominator between professional wrestling and being on a soap opera that is you get really, really well-known and famous within a very certain audience. I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, like the, the soap opera community is very microcosmic. It's one right. of the reasons that actors are able to go from one soap to another because they've established kind of an audience that likes watching them. Right. And then the shows, you know, if you go to another show... They're like, oh, this guy's going to bring his his audience in. But almost within a week of being on a show, you get really well-known because these are people that have followed the show for years and years and years and know more about it than you. And so you literally go to the market a week after you've been airing, and you know half a dozen people know who you are. And imagine it's very similar with, with being a wrestler. You, know, you do one or two big wrestling gigs that are televised, and everybody in the wrestling community is probably talking about it. Oh, you're you're not wrong. Um, again, I, I had interviewed a, a, an actor who who started his career as an actor, but he also got involved in the, the wrestling circuit. And when I interviewed him, and I had mentioned that I was an independent professional wrestler, he asked what my gimmick name was, and I told him. And to my surprise, I never met the man. To my surprise, he knew exactly yeah. who I was. He knew what federations I worked for and how many belts I wow. held. I was like, "How the hell do you know That's me?" Wrestling soap operas—they are loyal, amazing fans. They really are. They really are. You know, they just love it, and they're so supportive. And you know, I think you know it, this is still something I encounter, and a lot of actors I know that have worked extensively in daytime and are really good, strong actors. It's really tough trying to break out and do other stuff because you become really famous and known as one character. And you know, I, I get that you, you know don't watch soap operas, but, you know, I'm, I'm still to this day, you know, very known for playing A.J. Quarterman or Ken Deacon Shark. And uh, that's, a, that's a really positive thing, especially in the case of Deacon Shark, because Old and the Beautiful is the most syndicated show in television history. It's in 110 countries. Right. You know, we are airing in everywhere from Poland to Israel. Um, and that's great, but sometimes, you know, when I've tried to get film roles, I've run into, you know what, we don't, we want somebody that's not going to be so readily recognizable as, as that character. So that was going to be my next question. 
that that yeah. that was going to be my next question with with getting the notoriety uh with with the uh with the with the daytime soaps uh and all did you run into any issues in your career with with the typecasting like either you you're not right for the role because you're 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 Buchanan or the fact that it's like oh the only role I can offer you is B- a clone of Buchanan did you, did you just say did you just say Buchanan I think I did <laughs> <laughs> it's a quarter it's a quarter main quarter main no, excuse I, me no, I totally get what you're saying. um yeah um I have and still do. And my remedy to that has always been, you know what, if nobody's going to hire me for a while, because you know, any career is a marathon. It's not a 50-yard dash. With the exception of really what amounts to being a handful of actors who you see kind of, you know, lame up to the top. So most people are working actors. Some get, you know, if you're lucky, you get a role in your career, maybe two. I've been fortunate to have, like, three or four where you actually get some really good notoriety from it. But but it's, it's a marathon. It's not a race. Um, and, you know, I've always tried to do other things in times when maybe things are slow. I've written two books. Um, right. I've done 15 movies. Uh, I've, I've written a film. I've, I've produced five films. You know, I, I, I was... I had finished a, a movie with Steven Seagal and DMX called Beyond the Law, which actually the director producer of Studio City directed. He also directed Gangsterland. Okay. And you know, I, I was I, I was like, look, I need I need to get something going on here. And I brought the project to him, and in short order, you know, we were on set filming. And you know, I've always tried to be my own biggest advocate, my own big, biggest PR agent. Um, you know, when I've had nothing going on, I'll go do a play. You know, I'll do anything I can to get people to see me as something else. And right. I think that has made a, made a huge difference in my career. Uh, do I still struggle with, hey, he's a guy from soap operas? Absolutely. And is it frustrating? You bet. And I will continue to keep throwing punches to break out of that box uh, until, you know, I'm, I'm seen as, you know, how, how I want to be seen. And, and you know, hopefully, and, and the reason that you do that, ultimately, you know, it, it's not for the money, which, believe me, that, that would be great. <laughs> but it's because you want to have the economy. You want to have the economy to choose the projects you really want to do. You know what I mean? Instead of having to take a job, you know, the great thing about Studio City was this was not a job I had to take. I created this. I wrote this role for myself. I am this guy. And, and to be able to, you know, create my own dialogue, to, to play a role that I created for myself, on my terms, that's really amazing. Because normally most actors, you, you, you pretty much take what you get because it's so difficult to get anything that when you do get something, you're really appreciative and, you know, you, you probably need the job. Right. Well, see, that, that that's actually funny because it's, it's tying back to the pro wrestling thing, too, uh, when, I, when I was watching uh, Studio City and I was watching some of your facial expressions and the way you were delivering dialogue, um, yeah, I very much got a Chris Jericho vibe. <laughs> like I could see you doing a, you know, a documentary <laughs> for Chris funny. Jericho playing, playing the role of Chris, you know, cause you had that stare and, and the way you were delivering lines, it was very much like a, 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 a promo from Chris Jericho <laughs> sometimes, you know, not, not in a sense of like being over the top. You know, you know, do you know him by the way? Uh, I've gotten drunk with him once, but I wouldn't necessarily say I know him. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, it's, it's, this is so random, but I was looking through a magazine, I don't know what I was looking through, and I saw a picture of Chris Jericho, it must have been like a week and a half ago, and I was like, huh, he and I kind of have some facial physical similarities, and I, I thought, wow, that'd be kind of interesting to play Chris Jericho in something. I was like, Bob, you know him, put me in touch with him, maybe uh, we'll come up with something. I don't, I mean, but I'm I know people who do. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I've lived at least talk to the guy. I don't know him like that, but I do know people who do. So maybe, who knows? Maybe I could be the middleman. <laughs> you never know. You never know what you bump. I'm like, yeah, I'm like that. You bump into I'm, I'm like that second guy in a Law and Order episode. I'm not the guy, but I'm the guy that leeches the guy that leeches the guy the that leeches the killer. The guy. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I got it. That is awesome. Well, the the, the all right. Well, well, story of my career. 
Well, speaking of your career, um, I'm not going to go through the filmography. You've, you've got a whole bunch of it. People can IMDB you. They can find out all the things that you've been in. But I will I will help pinpoint a little bit. What was one of your more favorite roles? Besides, obviously, Studio City, which you wrote for yourself. Like, what, uh, what, what sure role would you say? Sharp. What's that? I would say for sure uh, playing Deacon Sharp has been one of my favorite roles. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a role that was, you know, I originated the role. No one else has ever played it. It's, it's completely got my stamp on it. Uh, it's a role that has taken me all over the world um, and introduced me to lots of people uh, through the bold and beautiful. And that's really had a very profound effect on my life in a positive way. Um what else? Obviously, Karate Kid. You know, Karate Kid Three. Uh, it, it's such a part of the Americana cinematic tapestry that you, you know it, it's done a lot of really interesting things for me. Uh, it's been a really important part of my life. Um, and then there's other there's other things that probably like nobody's really seen movies, small movies that I've gotten off the ground and starred in. And, and knowing what I had to do to get those those pictures made has a really special part in my, my soul. Uh, there's a film I did called March many years ago. I played the, the title character, Julian March. And then years later, I, I wrote uh, a film uh, for Lionsgate uh, that I also created this film called uh, Chasing Holden about a, uh, a kid who runs away and he's looking for J.D. Salinger. Okay. And, uh, you know, that, that's a... Yeah, I, I played the kids' feature, and it's just that's got a really special place in my heart. So, um, well, I, I I definitely want to get onto the Karate Kid. I have a, a couple questions on the Karate Kid, but before I do, sure. uh, what is your more favorite genre movie to to star in? Uh, like, uh, is drama the thing, or do you prefer comedies? Or obviously not horror, but like you know maybe delve into the like the science fiction aspect like what what is the one thing that like when you receive a script and you know what type of film it is that you're like all right it's this um i i really like comedy um i i i, I love watching them uh, i've done i've done several and I, you know and i try and infuse pretty much anything i do in acting with, with some semblance of comedy um um I, if, if i'm watching something I, I kind of like um, futuristic dystopian things. You know, one of my favorite movies of all time is Rollerball, okay. and uh, uh, or Logan Logan's Run movies like that. Uh, those are the kind of movies I grew up on. And so for me, I mean, you know, to play something that would be both sort of physical as well as sort of a thought-provoking futuristic thing would be really cool. If you ever do a, uh, a film adaptation of the video game Fallout, let me know. I'll play one of the characters. <laughs> ah, okay. All right, you got it. You're talking about dystopian futures That'd and all that. Cool. And like, that. That's post-apocalyptic. That could right. be fun. But no. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, the, com- the comedy aspect and, and dystopian, dystop- dystopian roles are, are the things that like you really get your pump, blood pumping. I mean, if I had to, if I had to pick a dream role, I think it would have been amazing to do Gladiator. I mean, just the, the scope of that film, and you know, there was such great drama in it, but also such you know, breathtaking um, action. And I'm a, I'm a huge history buff, and I, I love ancient Roman history. So for me, that would have been really cool. That that it was a great movie. That that probably would have been a fun role, a uh, fun movie. Would would you have played yeah, Maximus, absolutely. or would you just been happy to be one of the guys that died in the arena? Like to get to give I, you an I example. Think I would have been happy to be one of the guys, but I mean, if I if I had my dream thing, I would have, I would have loved to play Maximus, of course. <laughs> of course, <laughs> but yeah, that that's the way I was. Right. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I'll tell you, I'll tell you though, Good. Commodus is an amazing part too. Oh, of course. You just brought up Star Wars. Um, One of our actresses uh, uh, in Studio City, um, Carolyn Hennessy, who plays Gloria, the uh, producer of the show, Right. Fire, uh, was was in Skywalker. She was in Rise of Skywalker? Skywalker. Oh, nice. Yeah. So this is definitely a change for her, then. (laughs) No, but I'm. 
what I was meaning for from bringing up Star Wars is being a huge fan. Like I would kill to just be one of the Jedi who died in Attack of the Clones. You know what I mean? Like, right. don't even give me a speaking role. Right. Put me in the background, and I'll just be like, "See that blue lightsaber? That was me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it is. If you're a fan of the genre movies, I totally get it. <laughs> well, it, it, it's funny because like uh, I have no personal connection to to the uh, uh, movie industry in any way, shape, or form. But I had an uncle that was in Gettysburg. He was a Civil War reenactor. So okay. during the Battle of Gettysburg, he was one wow. of the I'm rebel from, soldiers. Okay, yeah, so you, you're, you're familiar yeah. with what I'm talking about. But yeah, that old film, it's always funny. I have people watch the film, and I make them sit through all the credits, and you can see my uncle's name with the reenactors. It's like you can't oh, see him awesome. on the screen, but he was yeah. there. <laughs> That's funny. Very cool. Uh, but with uh, with uh, Karate Kid, there, there's, a, there, there's a reason I keep coming back to it, besides the fact that I love the Karate Kid franchise. Uh, I got to know from like a personal aspect uh, when you came into the Karate Kid, the Karate Kid Three. Obviously, we uh, the the franchise has already had two very successful films. How much pressure was that for you to mm-hmm. step into the role and basically become the new Johnny? Um, it was a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, I, it was surreal because I had uh, I had you know been a main customer watching the first two films. You know, here, a year after Karate Kid 2 came out, I'm on the set filming Karate Kid 3. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, it was, it was far and away, you know, the, the biggest thing that I'd ever done. I mean, it was the, the difference between being a guest star on, you know, a small television show to being thrust into the lead in, you know, uh, a studio-level multimillion-dollar film. And along with that came, you know, some very specific expectations. Um, so, you know, yeah. How about, how much fun was it to work with, uh, oh my God. Uh, how, how could I, how could I forget, uh, Daniel Russo's real name? <laughs> Ralph Macchio. Ralph Macchio. Thank you. And, uh, Pat Morita. Well, you know, I mean, before, before I had even watched any of the Karate Kid films, I mean, I was a fan of Happy Days. I mean, I used to run home from school during lunchtime to watch Happy Days and Pat Morita was Arnold. Right. You know, so, I mean, I, I was already working from Ar- with Arnold from Happy Days. Uh, yeah, you know, like I said, it, it was surreal. It was, uh, you know, I got the film from an open call. Uh, I don't know if you know the story about how I got the film. I don't. Please share. But uh, I, okay. well, I, I've told it many times, but I'll tell it again. I'll, I'll kind of expedite it. Um, I, I, was, I was in Los Angeles. I'd already started pursuing acting. But I'm from Pennsylvania, and I would go back to my karate school in Pennsylvania, and we had joined another larger karate organization, and the head of that organization was Master Fumio Demura. And Sensei Demura was Pat Morita's stunt double. He played Pat Morita's, did all of his stunts, okay? Okay. And he knew I wanted to be an actor, and he told me at one point, look, they're going to do this open call for the new bad guy for Karate Kid 3. And everybody in Hollywood who was a young guy was trying to get the part. And I showed up at the casting director's office and said, look, you know, I have my SAG card. I've, I've done some work. Can I audition for you rather than stand in line with all these people? And she said, no. I went and I stood in line with almost 2,000 people. Wow. And John Appleton picked, picked me. John Appleton won the Academy Award for Rocky and did the other Karate Kid films. He picked me and about nine other guys out. Long story short, I screen tested for the film, and they went ahead and they hired somebody else. Uh-huh. And I guess the guy didn't work out. I know, I know the guy didn't work out. They called me back like five days later, and it was like it was it was it was it was surreal. I mean, I, I hate to use that word, but I mean, I knew they were calling me back for something good. They don't call you back to tell you to get stung, and. I met Robert Mark Kamen, who, of course, wrote the Karate Kid films, as well as Taken and many other blockbusters. Right. Also a martial artist. He had me do some martial arts. And they literally said, okay, you're starting right now. Set me right off the wardrobe. I mean, it was, you know, normally you get a part, and it's like you start in a month, or sometimes you don't start for several months. I mean, it was like, you're hired. Go to work. And um, two weeks after starting the film, uh, we broke for Christmas, and uh, I was having some real extensive pain in my left thigh, and I attributed it 
to all the karate I was doing. Uh, so I started taking a bunch of aspirin. Well, what really had happened was I did a stunt, which had nothing to do with karate, but I managed to perforate my omentum, which is it's a sheath of tissue that wraps around your intestine. What had happened was I was bleeding internally. The blood was dropping on my femoral artery and causing me the leg pain. The aspirin I was taking exacerbated it. So uh. by the time I got to Vegas, I was in, I'm in the Dunes Hotel, and uh, I was I was with a friend, and I said, "Yeah, I can't tell. I passed out. I passed out. EMTs came. They said he's dying. We got to take him. This was Christmas Day, 1990. They said he's dying. We got to take him to the emergency." They took me to the emergency. They said they had to operate on me. I thought they meant Monday. They meant in 10 minutes. Oh, wow. And they said, we don't know if we could save your life. And, I mean, it was the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, my parents had to fly out from the East Coast at midnight. Um, didn't know if I was going to make it. Got a call from the studio, and it was no, you know, how you doing, how you feeling. It was like, you got 10 days to be back at work, or we're recasting you. Oh, wow. Welcome to Hollywood, kid. And I had staples up and down my stomach. I got out of the bed the next day. Day after that, I walked around like the entire floor of the hospital. Day after that, I walked around three times, had them discharge me. And they said, okay, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll keep you in the movie because they had just enough of me that they had shot that, you know, they, they were going to keep me. And right. they said, but we're going to have to stop me and do all of your, do all of your uh, martial arts. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, I've been training for a long time doing martial arts and, uh, you know, I mean, frankly, I was better than the stuntman. I mean, you know, I, I wanted to do my own stuff. Long story short, they put me together with a guy named Kyle Borland who played for the Rams. And this is the Rams in 1989-90. Not, well, actually, he played before that. But, um, you know, not, not the Rams now. And this guy worked with me every single day. And, you know, the first day I could do 10 sit-ups. And the next day I could do 50. And the day after that I was doing, you know, I was doing 100. And right. I wound up doing every one of my own stunts in that movie, with the exception of the one where you see the bad guys in the convertible go across the train the train tracks when the train comes. Because I was like, there's no way after surviving that surgery that I'm getting taken out by a train. <laughs> so that's the only stunt that I didn't do in the movie. Wow. That, that, yeah, that's a pretty that, tricky story, right? That's a that's a pretty badass story. Like, my, my, my respect level for your no, pain, that, pain levels just, like, skyrocketed. Because <laughs> that that was, that was that worth doing the interview? Oh, absolutely. Because <laughs> I'm I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, like, yeah. how much pain did you have to be in just getting done surgery to force yourself to keep this role? Like forcing yourself. Just I'm even thinking of just the walking it around the like, hospital as opposed to forcing it was, yourself it was like, to, to do it was the like stunts. I, it was like nothing I'd ever gone through. Just, one of the most painful things, aside from you know my the abdominal surgery, was you have to. You, you, have you ever had surgery? You have yeah. to blow this thing that has these five balls, and you got to get them to reach the top so that your lung is clear. Mm -hmm. and it was, I don't know, it was super painful doing that, and just everything was a grind, you know. And uh, but but at a you know at a really young age, when you think you're invincible, and you learn that you're not, that in itself is a really good lesson, right? Right. But what's a better lesson is, you know, it, it showed me a little of, of who I am, or at least who I was in that moment, that, you know, there was no way that I was going to not finish this film. I was hell or high water. I was going to get back in this film. I had fought too hard to get it. And it taught me a lot at a very young age about, you know, who I was as a young man. And I think it's ultimately helped shape who I am as a man. So it's fair to say that uh, the experience of the Karate Kid shaped not only your career, but your life. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I do have to ask, yeah, though, how, how nothing nothing is ever without a payment. You, you, you know, uh, the, the old saying is no job is complete until the paperwork is done. So with forcing yourself, pushing yourself to that way you keep the role of the Karate Kid, how much? how many times were you going home and, like, you know, I, I hate to kill the masculinity of how badass you are right now, but how many times did you go home, collapse, and cry because you're just in utter pain? You know, forcing it, it was, yourself it, through. It was, it was very, it was, it was, it was very difficult, and it was made more difficult because, and I can say this now because, you know, John Appleton's passed away, and this is many, many years, and you know, I, I, I think 
you know, they weren't really interested in how I felt and how I was coming along. Right. Money on the line, a big, a big budget film, and it was do the job. And so, you know, I've always been one of those people that kind of responds better to positive, uh, you know, reinforcement, but that's, that's not really what I was getting. But whatever it was and whatever it was, they were, I, I think it pissed me off. And I was like, fuck you. I came back from this and, you know, I, I had a lawsuit against them and I got like, I got about $1,500 for my trouble, you know, for right. almost dying, you know, for them putting me in a situation that I probably shouldn't have been in. And, uh, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm going to finish this damn movie and I'm going to be good in it. And, uh, you know, that was what motivated me and what drove me. And I'm glad it did. I'm kind of seeing, yeah, kind of seeing some of, of Sam's feistiness now oh. from Studio City. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get that part now. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, it's, so I guess I guess you get it. You know, you, you draw on everything. You know, I've drawn on everything that I've done in my career uh, for Studio City. And there's a, there's a a lot of stuff that didn't come from daytime. It came from other stuff, from being an actor for 30 years for. You know, enduring the slings and arrows, but also, um, you know, reaping reaping the victories and the the rewards. All right. Well, the one the one final question I'm going to ask about the Karate Kid. Um, it's not so much about Karate Kid Three, sure. but but for the character from Karate Kid Three. Uh, of course, I'm sure you're you're familiar with the fact that they've continued the franchise on uh, YouTube. I have not watched it because I haven't paid for YouTube Premium. However, there is Cobra Kai. Yeah. Is there any yeah. possibility or, or even desire to return to the role? Maybe have him come back? You know, I, first of all, these guys have done, um, you know, Josh Shell, Hayden Schlossberg, these guys have you know, done an amazing job with the show, as, as have Ralph and Billy Zabka. Um, you know, they turned this thing in its head, and the whole concept is that, you know, really, Daniel's son was the bully, and Johnny was the one that was bullied. You know, I mean, you know, Daniel came in, he started going after Johnny's girl, Daniel hit Johnny first, so it's this really interesting take on on the history of the film. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I would very much I would very much love to be a part of this. Uh, whether or not that happens, I don't know. Uh, the fans surely seem to want to have it happen. Um, it's, it's one of those wait and see things. Um, you know, it, it's completely in the hands of the producers. Um, I would love to, to dust off the Cobra Kai gear. Um, <laughs> I think it'd be really interesting. You know, it, it'd be really interesting to see how did this guy Mike Barnes wind up? I mean, did he wind up going to jail? Did he wind up becoming like a worse version of himself? Or, you know, did he maybe go to the military and, you know, clean his act up? And is he actually like a, a good guy now? Right. Um, did, he, did he go to a commune and kind of like, you know, wearing Birkenstocks and beads, and you know, <laughs> it'd be interesting to see what happens. And I think, I mean, I think any of that stuff would be really fun to play. Any of those choices. Be funny if he became a complete on uh, uh, Buddhist monk pacifist. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I think it'd be really funny. That would be really funny. Like you know. Oh, we're gonna come after you with all the Cobra Kai, including this guy. And you just walk in and uh, in robes and barefoot and on, shaved head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. I love it. So you know, I mean, the, 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 the fans of Cobra Kai have been really verbal about the fact that they want to see Mike Barnes come back, and you know, I mean, uh, producers know how to find me, and uh, you know, they reach out. If I'm, if, if you know, my schedule permits, I would love to do it. Hey, you know what? Uh, power, power of the power of the people, power of the voice, guys. If you uh, listening, the people, right? listening, listening to the show right now, you want to see Mike Barnes return uh, and make a return in Cobra Kai, man. Reach out, make uh, make them people here. That's right. Go stalk, go stalk the producers. <laughs> stalk the producers. They would love that. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, well, I've, I've only got two questions left for you here. Uh, they're 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 okay. they're kind of standard, so I, I apologize because as you as you know, I try to keep it from being status quo. But uh, 
the first question right. is what's next for you? Obviously, uh, Studio City season two in development, ready in in a can and ready to release. Yeah. No, Studio it's in development. I mean, we're we're in the process of discussing what what it's going to look like, and we're moving to a bigger format. Um, you know, it's, it's largely contingent on uh, uh, you know our analytics and a lot of stuff like that, but. I would just like, you know, at this point, just to get as many people to see the show, and we're building our audience. So, you know, if, if you're, your audience listening, if it'll give us a chance, and it's six episodes, it'll take you an hour and a half to watch the whole thing. Um, there's a great payoff in the last episode. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime, Studio City. Hope you'll give it a shot. Um, that's my that's my big focus right now. Um, I'm I'm scheduled to. I was scheduled to start a film uh, last month, um, uh, a very cool psychological horror film. I, I don't know uh, if that's still going to happen. I mean, you know, there's so much that's up in the air right now uh, economically because of the coronavirus. Right. You know, it, it's kind of wait and see. Um, but, you know, Studio City is really my my huge focus. I mean, I'm, I'm a producer, a writer and an actor on the show. So it's really kind of all encompassing for me and I, I couldn't be happier. It, it's, you know, it's kind of a dream job. Right. Making your own hours, be able to sleep in your own bed, <laughs> but telling the story that you want to tell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Plus I get to sleep with one of the producers. So that's a pretty good deal too. Hey, right on. My wife. <laughs> I was about to say, make sure, make sure you clarify that. Cause uh, there's a lot of trouble in Hollywood with that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and of course, the other the other standard question for anybody listening right now that may be a uh, aspiring or up and coming actor in the uh, in the industry, whether it be you know uh, stage, film, TV, whatever, what advice would you give them? Uh, obviously, with your long story career, um, you've you've been the ups and downs, the ins and outs. What what advice would you give somebody looking to break into the business? I say decide long and hard if it's something you really want to do. There's a lot of easier ways to make money. Um, you know, at any given time, uh, only about 25% of the Screen Actors Guild members are working. The rest are unemployed. Um, and it's psychologically, it's a very difficult career to pursue. That being said, if you love it and if it's inside of you and you, you just you have to do it, then treat it with respect. You know, study. Do everything you can to learn as much as you can about every facet of filmmaking and acting that you can. Um, be ready for when the opportunity comes. Be realistic. I mean, if you live in you know, Lubbock, Texas, and you want to be a professional actor, probably not going to happen in Lubbock, Texas. You know, you're going to have to consider moving to New York or L.A. Um, I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's work in... Atlanta, there's work in Chicago, but you know you need to be in one of the, the centers of where the acting business is. Um, I would also say, you know, be realistic that you know it's going to be difficult, and you're probably not going to find success for a while. So have a financial plan as to you know how you're going to support yourself until you're waiting for your you know your ship to come in. The other thing I was going to say, though, was that this is actually one of the best times to be an actor because, you know, when I was starting out, there was no Internet. And now you can create content and show it. You know, you can create something and throw it up on social. And if it gets seen or if you get enough people following you, um, you're, they're going to come find you. Whether or not you have the talent to sustain that is another question. Right. But, you know, find Find something, go out with your buddies and shoot it on an iPhone. Edit it and, and post it. You know what I mean? There's there's opportunities to do stuff to get yourself seen. And that's the name of the game, getting yourself seen. That's that's solid advice. And you, you bring up a very good point uh, on, on the social media aspect of it. I mean that that, that I'm interviewing I'm interviewing the uh, Mike Barnes from Karate Kid Three right now. And I'm a guy who started off making a a podcast talk bitching about movies with my friends through a digital recorder and it was really social media yeah. that allowed me to become a podcaster and my mother always telling me i had a face for radio um 
but I mean, I had I had no formal training in this. This this is uh, this is something that just kind of gradually became, uh, thanks to social media. So you're you're absolutely right. Um, this day and age, musically, I mean, look at look at people like I, I hate the guy, but uh, look at people like Justin Bieber. Not once had he ever gone yeah. out uh, musically and and been a stage performer, working the gigs or anything else. He made YouTube videos and got discovered. It could happen. Yeah, but you know you got you got you got to respect it. I mean, I have I have tons of respect for people that make their own break. You know, the the key the key is being prepared when they come along. Um, and you know, every actor has stories. You know, I mean, I have you know painful stories of maybe getting the right audition at the wrong time. I remember, you know, very early on in my career, I, I auditioned for Ron Howard, and I just simply was not trained enough as an actor to be ready to give the level of performance that he was looking for and i've never gotten to audition for him again and it's uh. it's, it's really you know it's tough because now you know now as a as a 53 year old guy that's you know very confident in who i am and what i can do and what i bring to the table i'd love that shot again but you got to be prepared for when it comes wait 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 hold on hold on back it back up a second you're 53 And you play a forty-five-year-old on Studio City. I do. You look great for your age, because I really thought you were forty-five. <laughs> <laughs> wow, thanks, brother. Oh man, I appreciate that. When you said forty-five, uh, yeah, no, I was like, uh, "That, that, wow," because I'm I'm forty I'm forty-three, so I'm like, "Yeah, you, he looks around my age." That that's right. You're fifty-three. That just blew my mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll be fifty-four in November. I mean, I'd like to tell you from clean living and uh, going to church and working with uh, uh, poor kids, but you know, <laughs> I've had some hard living in my day. But you know what? I've I've, I've mended my evil ways, and uh, I have to thank my mom and dad. I guess I got some good genes. Well, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I guess the we have concentrated on your career a little bit here, a, a lot actually. Uh, what do you do? Indeed. On your downtime, like especially now, you mentioned about the like the coronavirus having a lot of things up in the air right now. What is what is right. uh, what does somebody like Sean Kanan do when he's not on film, when he's not on screen, or or auditioning or writing? Um, <laughs> you know, my my wife and I spend a lot of time together. She's my favorite person, and I love spending time with her. But my my other passions. Um, um, I, uh, I, I study several languages. Okay. Uh, I really, uh, I really love stu- studying languages. I study Italian, um, Mandarin, uh, Spanish. Uh, I lived over in Italy. Uh, so for me, I've been speaking Italian for over a decade. Um, love to cook, wrote a cookbook. Um, you know, cooking's a passion of mine. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, what else, what else? I love to travel. Traveling is like one of my my biggest passions, and um, you know I I, I, give, I give time to various charities. I'm I'm involved uh, uh, with the Cancer Society, various um, animal charities. I, I do some mentoring. Okay. Uh, I'm very involved with an, with an anti-bullying charity called Buddha Bullying, uh, and uh, you know I go and I, I speak with kids. Um, at the high school level and still get a dialed about bullying. And, you know, having played kind of an iconic bully, um, I, I always start my presentation showing, you know, the, the classic video of Mike Barnes berating Daniel at the tournament. Right. And I said, would you believe that that guy that looked so scary was actually bullied when he was a kid? And right away it, it sort of opens them up and, and it kind of gives me a little street cred with them both as a guy that, you know, and being an actor from a film they probably know, but also like, wait a minute, that guy was bullied. And then I, I started dialogue with him. And uh, that's been something that's been really important to me. Uh, you know what? I was I, I was going to keep quiet on it, but since you brought it up, yeah, I, I, I was catching the irony uh, that that uh, that almost came out of my mouth. It's like, wait, the bully is an anti-bully. <laughs> but, you know, that that is awesome. Right. Right. That that is really awesome. So uh, yeah. you know, it, it's cool that you that you occupy your time with that, and, and like you said, you do the cooking and the traveling. Um, I could almost see you doing one of those celebrity uh, celebrity cook off shows on like the Food Network now. 
<laughs> Taking on the I Iron Chef. Love to do that. Oh my god. I, you know, that's like a, that's like a guilty uh, a guilty pleasure of mine watching those shows. I love those. Let's see, so, I'm, uh, uh, I'm anyone uh, calls me for that, I'm there. Right on. Let me know you're on. I'll I'll check it out. Because uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of like Gordon Ramsay and uh, 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 Robert Irvine, the, uh, the 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 Kitchen Nightmare sure, series yeah, yeah, yeah. and all. But I also love me some uh, some you know some diners, drive-ins, and dives. <laughs> so there's, a, there's a really good one I just binged, and I think it's on Netflix. And I forget what it's called. But here's the premise: the the, the, the chefs cooking teams, okay, and they're all like A-list famous. Yeah, I mean, these are guys that a couple of them have Michelin stars. A couple of them are like chef of the year. I mean, these are not like, not like, um, uh, with the chopping block or whatever, like where there are people that are kind of aspiring and then become famous. Okay. So anyway, the premise is they go around the world. So one is you're going to be cooking in the cuisine from Brazil. And so they, they, they've got to make this dish from Brazil. Then they go to Japan and they're judged by famous chefs from each of those locales. And it's it's really really cool. Oh, that's really pretty cool interesting. On, you know, kind of, yeah, yeah, it's cool. You'd like it. And that's that's on Netflix. I think it's on Netflix. Um, oh, sorry, I can't I can't remember what it's called. But uh, oh, that's it's, all right. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, eat, do me a favor. Eat before you watch it, though. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't don't like don't like don't like watch this at like eleven o'clock at night. And then go, yeah, never go in the kitchen and make something because it could be catastrophic. <laughs> it, it will make you hungry. I'll tell you what, though, one of my one of my all time favorite uh, cooking shows that that it's no longer on the air and it's a, it's a damn shame because it was a competition show uh, was Cutthroat Kitchen. I I loved that show. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that. Too. I don't know if you remember that where uh, where the chefs would be making cuisines out of out of whatever they had or whatever, and then. Uh, Right. Through the through the time that they're they're preparing the meal or whatever, they would get uh, penalties or 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 challenges thrown at them, like ingredients changed on them last right. minute, or they had to do some right. sort of penalty. It, it, it was hilarious. <laughs> now you got to make filet mignon with peanut butter, you know. <laughs> right, right. That was that was probably one of my all time favorite. I love those All right, yeah. but uh. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the last the last thing I've got to ask here because uh, uh, we are coming up on the hour mark here. Uh, the last thing I got to ask okay. you is uh, for anybody that wants to get in contact with you or, of course, see your show besides Amazon Prime. Uh, any any uh, places you want to give a shout out to for people to be, yeah, be able absolutely. to contact you or or see absolutely. what you've done? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, uh, you can you can follow me on Twitter or uh, Instagram. It's at Sean Cannon, S-C-A-N-K-A-N-A-N. Uh, I really try and do my best to be responsive and, you know, connect with people who reach out to me. Uh, if you want to check out Studio City, it's on Amazon Prime. And then we also have a website for the show, which is studiocity.show. That, that's, what I, that's what I was waiting for because uh, I, I knew the show itself had a website. So if anybody wants to be able to get to Amazon Prime and don't want to, like, you know, dig through Amazon Prime to find it, just go to the website. That's what I did. Well, you can, yeah, can, can, can you go to Amazon Prime through the website? Yes. Yes. I, I went I went to the website. Oh, yeah, okay. I clicked the thing to watch the show, and it brought me to Amazon Prime, but it automatically had it after I did the sign up for Amazon Prime and all that. It automatically had it, had it up as, awesome. you know, ready to go. So that's why I was saying, like, go to the yeah. website. It's yeah, the fastest I, you know, way. That's a good way to do it. Good way to do it. You know, look, I, I just would really appreciate if people would give the show a shot. We're, we're, we're finding our audience. Um, like I said, we've been nominated for, I think, 19 awards right now. It is a short form. You know, they're, they're quick episodes, easily digestible. Please watch all six of them. And uh, if you hate it, let me know. If you like it, let me know. If you got some ideas, let me know. I, I really want to, you know, I really want to deliver stories to the fans of the show that they want to see in addition to the stories that I want to tell. And just to let you know, I just followed you on Twitter at uh, Realm Mist. Uh, oh, so that way, when this ep- uh, when this episode releases, both audio and the YouTube version, uh, I can tag you in it. So yep. that way, you know it's there. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Please, please. What, what, what is it? It's Well Mist. 
Uh, it's at Realm Mist. One word. Realm Mist. Okay, at Realm Mist. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow you back, and uh, yeah, as soon as this is done, please let me know, and I will uh, I'll, I'll get this out there, man. And it was it was really great talking to you. Oh, uh, thanks so much for for taking the time, and, and thanks to all of your listeners. I really appreciate it. Guys, go check out the show if you're if you're in if you're into drama if you're into into daytime soap operas if you're into a little bit of comedy uh, if you're just into something like 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 the man said it's an hour and a half of your time to binge it out and it's worth the time. Thanks, the, brother. I appreciate it. You stay safe and stay healthy. Okay. You as well, sir. Thank you very much. And guys, Take thank care, you for bye bye. And guys, thank you very much for joining us on Realm of the Mist Entertainment's Breaking the Fourth Wall. If you enjoyed this episode in any capacity, hit that thumbs up button, like, share, comment, subscribe. Check out all the other great Let's Plays, uh, excuse me, all the uh, other great podcasts. And of course, our sister channel, Sounds Dicey Gaming, for all your uh, video game and tabletop Let's Play needs. And if you prefer your podcasts in audio-only format, we got you covered. Just look up Realm of the Mist Entertainment on Anchor.fm, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever quality podcasts podcast can be heard guys that was an absolute blast i can't believe i got to sit here and uh interview mike barnes go check out studio city on amazon prime and i will catch you on the next breaking the fourth wall have a good night guys